back to The Rafiki Way. I'm Carly Nimmo and today I'm going to do my best to inspire you to get involved by introducing you to some of Rafiki's ambassadors. The ambassadors are those people who have created some kind of platform for themselves. Some might call them influencers. They've built trust with their audience and generally want to do some good in the world. Some of them you've likely heard of before. In fact, maybe you're listening to this because of one of them. And some of them don't have hundreds of thousands of followers, but they do have a big heart and want to help. Ricky Lee runs a small business in the Northern Rivers called Bod Squad by Ricky Lee. It's an outdoor-style boot camp program that I have been going religiously to for five years because it's the only way I get exercise and get to connect with people. Absolutely love it. And it runs during school terms and trains hundreds of women throughout the Northern Rivers from Evanshead, Ballina, Alstonville, Lennox. Ricky has a massive heart and puts everything into serving the women in her community. So when Claire, a board member, who you met in episode four, highlighted Rafiki's work to Ricky, she was like, how do I help? And then she got stuck in as only she can. Here's Ricky talking about how and why she got involved and how when COVID hit and prevented her from contributing in her usual way, she went all out and really put her body on the line for her favourite charity. I got involved with Rafiki after Claire, who was uh, in my bod squad, told me a little bit about it. And as soon as I heard about it, I just, I couldn't not help really. Pre-COVID, obviously, we used to go and do big workouts so you could come and donate a note. We got Lorna Jane involved. We got a few big businesses involved. So you know, the first few people who arrived got goodie bags and, and et cetera, et cetera. After COVID, it became increasingly hard for me to figure out ways that I could still try and help get, uh, get money to Rafiki in a way that stayed true to what I did and in a way that helped me create more awareness around Rafiki as well. I decided to put my body on the line and do the David Goggins challenge in the middle, in the heart of Byron Bay for Rafiki. What that was is every four hours for 48 hours, I ran 6.7 kilometers. So it's four miles. Um, essentially, if it took me 40 minutes to run the four miles, then I had three minutes, three hours and 20 minutes to recover. So this ran all day and all night for 48 hours. I ran it up and down the front of the beach there in Byron Bay. I, I chose Byron because I was hoping that, you know, the beachfronts would be busy and, and it would create a lot of awareness for Rafiki. Obviously, we were sleeping there. We were, I, was, I was running up and down. I had zinc all over me. It ended up being quite a terrible weekend that weekend with pretty pretty biblical force rains and gale force winds. So we didn't get the crowd turnout that we were hoping for, but fortunately, our business board squad did spread the word and we ended up raising over 20 grand just on that weekend for, uh, for Rafiki and creating some pretty massive awareness um, just through people sharing what I was doing and where I was. I do find that, um, you know, people are not empathetic unless they really know what the story is or you know it's really easy for people to turn a blind eye over here in Australia or in some of our more blessed countries I guess it is really easy to turn a blind eye I think the one thing that kept me going on on the challenge was all the beautiful videos I had coming through from the kids I can still I can still picture them in my mind every single day 
I think it's also looking at the bigger picture, you know, if something like what happened to those children happened to one child here in Australia, it would be across the news and it would have the whole country in mourning. But because they're in a different country, people seem to just so easily be able to turn a blind eye and think not my problem. I don't have to care about that. If you think for one second that you're a nobody and you couldn't do something to help, you're absolutely wrong. You can sponsor a child, you can share a Rafiki post, you can um, you can go to any of their phenomenal events that they run. Just sharing their posts helps create awareness, and I think people don't understand that it doesn't always have to be a monetary a monetary investment. You can always just invest your time, you can invest your, in your social media sharing and. It's such a worthy cause to get behind. Once you look into them, I'm sure you'll feel the same as all of the other ambassadors and everyone else who supports Rafi. Now, our next guest likely needs no introduction. She did one small thing in sharing a crowdfunding link and it changed Rafiki's entire world. It's the one and only Constance Hall. So let's hear the backstory of how that all went down. I'm sure you get asked all the time by people... For help, why did you choose Rafiki? Um, Rafiki was they came to me very early in the piece, and um, it was something that it was just sort of perfect. Like I always kind of knew that if anything ever happened with my blog or any part of my career, that I would want to be able to you know give back in some way. Obviously, it was the words. I can't remember the girl that messaged. I think her name was Jess. Um, mm. Sarah would probably know. Yeah. And she told me about Sarah. She told me about Rafiki. You know, it was a um, charity that worked with girls who had been predominantly girls who had been um, affected by sexual abuse in Kenya. But then she said it's run by a girl called Sarah. She works, you know, 40 hours a week she like dedicates her life to these people you would absolutely love her it's the most honest you know and I just had this feeling that it wasn't like one of these big organizations where the money and the message would get lost it felt like something personal that it felt shareable to me it's really important to me that something I'm able to convey that to other people and get them hooked as well so it it felt really super honest and that's all that matters because you're telling everyone who trusts you to put their money into something you need you need to know that that's transparent and you need to know that it's not like some huge global organization where you're not even going to make a nudge at it you know what i mean totally it was a way of making people realize that it's a small charity and you personally will be able to make a difference on this one You've done so much for Rafiki and other charities, but it seems that Rafiki seems to continue to be your charity of choice. Why is that? That's because Sarah is so annoying. She doesn't leave me alone. <laughs> no, it's, because it's become personal with Rafiki. And, um, and you know, even like with my my business partner, for example, who's not as charity-minded as me and he's a business guy, and he will even say, you know, if we're making a payment or if we're doing something for Rafiki, he will always, like, say we made a commitment and it was, you know, it's, it's your commitment and it's something that we will always stick with. You know, I've obviously committed to other things in the past, but with Rafiki it gets into you and it really does sort of, like, hook into you and you remember the children's faces and you remember Sarah working there on her own trying to make shit happen that's, like, seemingly impossible and you just think to yourself like it just feels like it's part of your family now do you know what I mean like you wouldn't ditch your sister you wouldn't like walk away you couldn't you just couldn't live with yourself going to Kenya was massive for us because um 
it's a good way of me for me to be able to remind my family as well of why we do what we do. Like when Sarah will send me an update of a case, I will tell my husband and my sister and they become like a team of wanting my business to do better so that I can help. And it's like, um, you know, it's just become part of all of us. So I think it was super important. When we went to Kenya, I remember the night that we like went to bed in Kenya and we had Amos, the dearly departed Maasai warrior, outside our door with his big grin on his face. And we had Sarah, who we obviously think of like a sister, and all of these like children that were like hugging us. And we were like lying in bed going, have you ever felt this happy being away? And I said it to Jens and he said, no. Like we both just had grins on our faces. We were like, this is the best experience of our lives. So I think experiences like that, they get into your soul, don't they? Yeah. Was Kenya everything you expected it to be? Or like what were the things that kind of were like, whoa, wasn't expecting I thought, that? I thought I was going to be more scared. The only time I was ever scared, because I'm a, I'm a worrywart, right? Like I, I think the plane's going to go down when I'm flying to Broome. So I obviously when I'm like lining up and I brought my friend Hugh with me, who is like the most dangerous person to travel with because he'll just shout out the most politically incorrect shit. And um <laughs> And we were lining up in like immigration and I'm just looking around and I'm fucking shitting myself. <laughs> like I'm thinking we're about to die. I'm going, shut up. Everyone shut up. You know, when you get angry anxiety, I'm just yelling at everybody <laughs> and everyone's like, we're not even saying anything. And I'm just like, don't even try it. And then we get off out of the airport and like Sarah just comes bawling over to me, like screaming. And I could see she wasn't scared at all. <laughs> like that she had her crew with her and she was just like, ah! And we all just like hugged and I'm thinking we're making a scene, but I don't care. And then like I get in the car and that was the literally until we got to the farm, it was the only time I ever felt any fear at all was when we weren't there. So I think I thought that I would be sleeping at night thinking, what's that noise? What's that noise? Mm. But once you get on the farm, like you do, you're in your own sort of world, really. You've created a little, a little world that is, that is super secure. So, um, yeah, there was that, that that was definitely different to what I expected. I didn't expect as much, like, love, you know. Like, I expected a lot of kindness. If tra- I've travelled a lot before and I feel a lot of, like, cultural kindness all the time. So I knew everyone would be sweet to me. But these kids feel like they knew me. And, you know, they were calling me Queen Constance. And I said to Dems, I would correct anyone else, but I'm not going to correct these kids because I think it means a lot to them to think that I'm the queen. So I'm going to wear that at while yeah. I'm here. <laughs> and, and they um, love it. Yeah, I certainly didn't expect to be as engulfed in all of the love as I was. That was, and the, the teenage boys there as well, we, you know, something that was really super strange to us was how our teenage boys got on with the teenage boys there. It didn't matter what background they came from. They liked the same music, you know, like our boys were getting dance lessons. Those boys were getting skate lessons. It was just, um, it was really beautiful to see. And I thought to myself, I'd love to take my other kids, like my daughters that are that are the same age as some of the girls there, um, you know, just a bit later and whatever, because it's incredible to see how children can just get along like that. And they can just find their, and, you know, my husband as well thought he was a Maasai warrior and he's doing (laughs) warrior dances and jumping ceremonies. And, like, I'd never seen him so happy because he's never happy. You know, he's an ex-drug addict that just likes to sit in bed complaining that he can't take drugs for the rest of his life. (laughs) While we were there. But he he didn't fit in. It was his home. It was, was they they took him under their wing for sure. Yeah, and he had such respect as well. Like, I think that. 
because like the Maasai um, culture is so super respectable, respectful, sorry, that you are, that you just get really sort of blown away that these people are sort of talking to you because you know who they are and you know like the authority they carry and that sort of, that can be really, really overwhelmingly beautiful. You weren't scared when, um, let's say, Hugh was hanging out the window on the drive from Nairobi to Nakuru or maybe when you went to the game park and he said to that lady with the AK-47, have you got any spare bullets? Oh, my God. He said he's always liked a woman with a gun. He oh. was, like, trying to crack onto her. Yeah, I was scared that day. And do you know another day that I was scared when we had, um, I think it was when we had the opening of the King's Castle and, like, three planes flew overhead and... I'm spending my entire time looking over at Sarah thinking, if Sarah's cool, I'm cool. And Sarah looks up at the planes and she goes, I've never seen that before. And I was like, why would you say that, you fuckhead? <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of dodgy moments, I guess. <laughs> you did well, so well. So you've mentioned your own family a few times and that you took the boys over. Do your own children understand what Rafiki is and what you do for them? So the youngers three don't really understand. They think Rafiki is uh, like Santa because Sarah sends them presents all the time. So they're like, is it Rafiki <laughs> when there's a parcel? The older ones, they really do. And they're super proud of to even be connected in some ways with Rafiki. And I think it gives them, you know, that sort of purpose. And I find the best thing with the older children is to involve them as much as I can because it makes them help me fight. And so I'll go, like Sarah will send me, you know, a, a new case and I will say to my daughter who's 13, but she's really mature, Billy, and I'll be like, you know, this is this is what's hap- happening and this is what Sarah's fighting. And she will be reduced to tears by it. But I, I think I've always thought that, like, I really hated those people that go, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, sorry, because it will really upset me, so I don't want to hear about it. I've always hated that because I think, don't you want to be moved? Don't you think if you're moved, you might do something about it? Mm. So I try and engage my children and I try and, you know, and I also think it's something for me, to, it's a positive for me to give them because there are so many negatives for them of my notoriety, I guess you would say, because they get, oh, this person said that her mum says that this and this about you and, you know, I'll put these boundaries around them. I'm sorry, you can't do that because you know, people will find out and everybody wants to know who you are and what you're doing and they want to find a crack in our family. So I, I guess there's a lot of negatives. And then when I can show them, like, these differences that, that that Rafiki makes in these kids' lives and that we have a part in helping that, it gives them a reason for me to want to continue because otherwise they're like, well, fuck you and fuck your fame. I want to go to the skate park and I don't care if my friend's been done for smoking bongs. And, you know, like, I'm like, you just have to be careful, I'm afraid, because everyone's looking at you thinking that's psh, 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 psh. and, you know, like, so I think that being part of that, it gives them a sense of pride and it go, and they go, okay, we can, we can deal with this, we can put up with this, we can, you know, they have to travel an hour to a different school because they come every morning and, and every day back. So that makes their school day two hours longer because they can't go to the local schools because everybody knows who they are or were part of the breakup between me and um, their father. And obviously that became a hot topic because everybody knew who I was. And so the, the like, secondhand sort of gossip that trickles down to the children and really affects them 
is overwhelming. So we put them in a school so far away. And that's something that they have to, you know, it's a, it's a long slog not being, you know, creating new friends that they don't live anywhere near. And all that. So there can be a lot of negatives, whereas I think um, having that sort of having knowing that there's a mission, knowing that there's a cause, there's a reason that goes further than just me and my career is really important. Yeah. So you know Rafiki better than most people out there and you've worked alongside Sarah for a number of years now and her (laughs) unique ways. Um, Tell us why you believe people should support Rafiki and the work they're doing in Kenya. Rafiki is different because it employs locals. Rafiki aren't about saving children. You know, they're about supporting a culture that's already there, learning about the culture and, you know, using resources from Australia to create something ongoing and sustainable for these children. These children come out of Rafiki with so much pride to be Kenyan. They don't ever come out of Rafiki thinking Australian saved my life. It's, you know, it's really, to me, that sort of cultural sensitivity is so important. And I think they just nail it with their therapeutic ways. You know, you hear like about orphanages and safe houses and all this sort of stuff in in, in Africa. And it, it feels very much white saviory. Do you know what I mean? Whereas when people learn that Rafiki is actually run by somebody who hides from the cameras, you will not see photos of her. <laughs> saving babies on her Instagram. It is literally run by someone who loves the country and mm. who um, respects the culture and who really, who listens to, you know, it's actually run by Kenyans. It's not really run by Sarah. She, she supports that. She supports it and she is a foundation for, you know, a way to get the funds to the right places mm. and to, to, you know, obviously makes all of the hard decisions and carries all of that. But when you go there and you meet the Kenyans, they are the smartest people that you'll know. They will tell you the history of Kenya. They are not people there waiting, you know, like waiting to be told what to do by some Australian, like, charity. And to me that's really, really, I think that's that's the most important part. Not only that but also the ethos behind Rafiki with the way that they care for the children and the love and, you know, the lack of punishments for traumatised kids, which is really difficult when you've got so many teenagers. Like, I know for a fact that I don't, you know, try not to use any physical violence with my children. But um, as they get older and, you know, I, I try not to really discipline too much anyway, I always like to be understanding, but it's hard. And the fact that Rafiki's implemented a system that works, that is just supporting kids with love and security and, you know, t- showing them that they're worth so much after such traumatic backgrounds if I thought Sarah was capable, I would put my kids in her wheel. My will, she would have my kids, but I know she doesn't want five more kids in to be it's landing on the doorstep. No. So I'd probably put my kids in Kenya, actually. Yeah, I'd <laughs> be better there than with me. Byron Bay. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, and what do you get out of it, Con? Um, I get a definite like sense of sort of um, being part of something, I guess. I just, I think I really like being a part of Rafiki and anything that Sarah's doing because I just know that she does the hard work. I just have to, do you know what I mean? I get to just sort of blindly go, there's a donation or Sarah needs, if she needs me to do a crowdfund or something like that, I'm happily, I'll happily do it because I've got that trust and I don't think you can get that trust overnight, you know, like, so I'm, I really am grateful to have, to have somebody that I know I don't have to do any background checks. I don't have time for anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I've got 
if Sarah left Rafiki, I'd be screwed because I've got one person that I would trust with my life that says to me, I need you to do this, and I just do it, no questions asked. I, and that, for me, is priceless because I want to be able to, you know, I'm a... I'm an empath. I hate people that say that, but I am. I want my com- my business to be giving back while also being a um, commercially viable business, and that's a really difficult thing to do because I'm not putting the time and effort that is needed for you know nonprofits and for charities. That's so the right. fact that I get to work with Sarah while doing what I do is a real blessing for me. To express myself as I'm Another big-hearted influencer who has been a massive supporter of Rafiki since the very beginning is Chantelle, also known as Fat Mum Slim. Let's hear from Chantelle about why she got involved and has continued to support Rafiki for around a decade. Hi, I'm Chantelle and I blog at Fat Mum Slim. Let me tell you a little bit about me and then I want to tell you a little bit about why I love Rafiki Wemmer and what a big part it plays in my life and has for the last almost decade, I think. I heard about Rafiki Wemmer when I was, I think, blogging just one day. I think I just read about the work that Sarah was doing um, and I just felt this urge to be part of it. My history is, which is a sad history, I was sexually abused as a kid and that really affects your whole life. It changes so much of who you are, your beliefs and how you go about your everyday life. And I knew that, I always knew that I wanted to do something good from it. I needed, this bigger thing happened to me in my life and I knew that I wanted to turn it into something better because it was so horrible. And so when I saw that the work that Sarah was doing and helping kids that have been through a similar situation, I automatically thought this is it and I was I was right it's been so beautiful so I didn't know what it would look like to work with Sarah or to support Rafiki but one of the things that we kicked off doing was just raising awareness and getting monthly sponsors so telling my beautiful audience about it and then they really embraced it as well and jumped on board and sponsored lots and lots of kids Um, and then from that onwards we have supported it in different ways throughout the last however many years, which I think is about 10 years. So why did I choose to support Rafiki? Just that past history, but also I loved what Sarah was doing and how it was her heart and soul in this business and, or not business, this charity. And I just wanted to be part of whatever she was doing because that I could see this difference that she was making in the kids' lives. And I knew that whatever we were doing, and I could see the difference that the support that we were, I was giving and my audience was giving, that it was making a difference. We got to see the changes in the kids and, the, and hear the stories of what, what the work was doing. So I love that about Rafiki Wemma, that I get to hear the stories and I get to know that where all the funds are going, what difference it's making... And we've done so many different projects over the years and it's been so great to be part of. One of the big things that we do is we do a gift exchange every year where people all around the world send each other presents. Um, It's a really beautiful community building exercise and a way to bring joy to people's lives. And part of that process is there's an entry fee to join just to keep people, people accountable. And that money that people join, that entry fee, which is only $5, everybody puts in, it goes to Rafiki Wema each year. So um, it's been really nice to know that every year we've 
made a big donation as a community and everyone in that community loves donating and seeing what a difference it makes. We've done other things too where the whole community has pitched in and sent letters and stickers to the kids as well. So it's so nice to see what a difference that makes. What do I get out of being part of Rafiki Wema? Uh, I, it's, it's really fulfilling. I get to feel joy and happiness and it feels such a, like such an honour to be part of it. And it, it feel, often feels like with charities you can donate or give, but you never really feel part of the process. It just feels like a transaction and this never does. It feels like I'm part of a family that we get to help people, help the kids and feel like we're making a difference. And I think that's really important. So that's what I get out of it. I get that feeling of knowing I'm making a difference and even the small stuff. Sometimes I do things that don't feel big enough, but I, Sarah reminds me that it's still making a difference. It's been such a joy and honour to see um, Rafiki Wema grow from something so small all those years ago to this powerhouse that it is now and it's not without huge amounts of effort from Sarah so it's such a joy to see the whole team working so hard and to see what a difference it's made to the kids lives and it's sad that it has to exist but it's beautiful that it does exist and Sarah's doing such great stuff um and I'm so glad glad to be part of it. Lastly, we have the hilarious and very generous Sonia Driver of Ecotan. Sonia and Ecotan have supported through various ways over the years, including an incredible $100,000 in three days thanks to a campaign that she did with Celeste Barber. She's also contributed a percentage of hand cream sales over the years and regularly donates to Rafiki. Here's Sonia talking about why she supports Rafiki. I actually became involved with Rafiki after um, Celeste Barber was telling me about the incredible work that they do and how Sarah just, you know, is 100% committed 24-7 and how they were desperately struggling. And I thought, wow, what can I do? I mean, it's I don't know anybody else that would put as much time, money of their life, their energy into to saving and rescuing beautiful, incredible children in these circumstances in a different country. What a hard, hideous, horrendous feat to overcome, yet they've done it with love and they've conquered. And so I thought, yeah, I want to be a part of it. And so that's how um, I got involved. I'm great at making money. And I thought, okay, what can I do for help? Let me sell 5,000, was it 50,000? I can't remember, Sarah, how many... um, Gloria, but within two days, Celeste and I raised over $100,000 to help. Honestly, what I know is, what I believe is the reason that my brand is so successful is because we're givers. We give, and I think what you give, you get back. I totally believe there's a spiritual law out there. It also fills your bucket. It's great for your team culture, Um, everything. It just opens your heart, opens your mind. It's it's changes your life it changes other people's why the f- wouldn't you do it okay so don't be a f- and give money 
So there's a few names behind the scenes that are not so behind the scenes. In fact, they're very front and centre. But there's many other brands that support Rafiki, whether that's through brand partnerships or as an ambassador. So if you have an audience or a business and you'd like to know how you could support Rafiki by lending your name or creating some revenue through percentage of product sales, or we're open to hearing whatever ideas you have, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up via the website or Instagram. And while you might not be famous or an influencer, it doesn't mean you can't have an impact and get involved. We love when you bring Rafiki into the awareness of those that do have influence. That has led us to some really incredible places. So don't underestimate the power of tagging us and letting those influencers know about Rafiki. So definitely keep sharing us with the people you know and admire. And if that's not really your thing, no worries. We're always looking for sponsors. So head on over to the website to learn more. Until next time, I'm Carly Nimmo and this is The Rafiki Way. Yeah.